Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. Some of you are smiling. Let's check. You made it through your week. As I can tell it's been a war for some of you. But it's good that the weekend is here. We get to be in this place to do a study. Now, I have a plan of what I want to do, but I don't dictate what I do, if that makes any sense. So I have a plan, but I'm going to make need you to pay attention and put your best mind on for this evening. You're going to require to think. Is that okay? My, my, my dad used to tell me, he said, Andre, he said, he said, uh, he used to say, tw- he said 20% of the people think, and he said 80% of the 20%, he said 80% of the people would rather die than to think. Rather to put their minds to really process and to understand, they'd rather just be like, oh, I'll put my head in the sand, I don't care what nobody's doing, I'm out. <laughs> That's what people would rather do. So before we begin this evening, because I am not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of what heaven has to say, if you don't mind, let's pray together. Is that all right? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. As we're about to study, Lord, we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my trade during the day is a teacher. So that means we're going to have a quiz. Are you ready? Those of you who were here last night, and maybe some of you just have knowledge off the top of your head, so we're good. We're going to do a quick quiz. I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to give me an answer. I gave you one key yesterday, one key yesterday to understanding Bible prophecy. Does anyone remember what that key was? What was that? Friendship. Now, those of you who weren't here yesterday, you're going to be like, friendship? Friendship to understand prophecy? Yes, my friends, the key to understanding Bible prophecy is a friendship and a fellowship with God. You see, God has a problem. We talked about this. God has a problem. He does not have many friends. When he comes to talk, remember Adam and Eve? Remember that story, Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve are in the garden in the cool of the day. God will come down and have fellowship with them. But one day he came down to talk to his friends, and his friends ran in the opposite direction. He has a hard time finding friends. I remember my mother told me, she told me a true story. I was born in Riverside, California. My dad at the time was trying to study to be a doctor. And so, but at some juncture, he couldn't finish that program so my mom ended up moving with me back to her mom's house when my dad kind of patched things up in California so it took him about three months I don't know exactly what he was doing but it took him about three months three four months and I was a little tyke and when he came to Alabama and I saw him I didn't know him so when he came to give me a hug I ran When he came to come embrace me, I ran in the opposite direction, and my dad said it broke his heart. I'm so happy today, me and my dad are good, right? 
But I can only imagine the emotions that he felt in that moment in time. And my mind went back to the Garden of Eden as God comes down in the cool of the day to interact with his own children and his children run in the opposite direction. I even think of it this way. Sometimes in the morning he wakes you up early. Sometimes he wakes you up early. And sometimes he just wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to talk to you. Can you imagine sometimes you're like, I ain't getting enough sleep. <laughs> we turn our shoulder. We don't want to spend time. We don't want to open the Bible. We don't see any benefit in fellowship with God. But God has a problem. He doesn't have many friends. So because he doesn't have many friends, the information that he wants to share, he can't share with everyone. So he's looking for friends. And, my, and tonight, my friends, I think he's looking for you. I mean, if, if he wasn't looking for you and if he wasn't looking for me, we wouldn't be here this evening. So he wants to share his information with us. Now, last night we talked about this image in Daniel chapter 2. We looked at this image, and the head was made of what, what, what uh, element? Gold. gold. And we saw that the head of gold was a kingdom. That kingdom was Babylon. And then we saw another kingdom come right after that, and it was chest and arms of what element, my friends? Silver, and we saw that silver was a representation of the kingdoms of Medes and the Persians. And so that kingdom came one after the other, and we saw God's mighty hand because God named the general that would take Babylon by name 150 years before it even transpired. That was powerful. If you put your name, if, if you find your name in a book 150 years, it was pre written, and then there's a prophet standing next to you and say, Here. Here's your name right here. <laughs> you would know that God was in control and you're just one of those persons that God sets up kings and he what? He takes them down. God is in charge. And after Medo-Persia, we had the kingdom of Greece. And we saw that Alexander the Great was a mighty, mighty soldier, conquered the then known world, if you will, in less than three. He was about 33 years old by the time he conquered everything. He conquered the world, but he could not conquer his own habits. Because he could not conquer his own habits, he drank himself and poisoned himself with alcohol and died. After the kingdom of Greece goes off the scene, there's the kingdom, the mighty kingdom of pagan Rome. And pagan Rome dominated. And it's in this time frame that Jesus himself came and manifested himself and he died. But I told you last night, and we're going to go deeper at another time, Rome did not kill Jesus. It was our sins. It was my sin. That crucified our Lord. And one night we're going to go into it. I'm going to show you without question. Do you know that even agnostics admit that there is a historical Jesus Christ? It can't be. There's no way around it. The man Jesus literally existed. And if he existed, that means something special for me that I don't have to die in my sins. I don't have to be a slave to any habit in my life because there is a savior. And his name is who, my friends? His name is Jesus. So tonight we're just we're just going to for a moment review. I see it here. We'll review. But tonight we're going to go over this subject. On the eve of Armageddon. Now, we're not going to talk about Armageddon itself tonight. We're talking about on the eve of Armageddon. And as we come to that space, as we come to the edge of that great battle, as the Bible talks about it, you're going to see that we are very, very near, and there is specific instruction that we are given as we enter into this great war that's about to take place. But before you do that, signs of the times. I want you to open your... Or actually, I want you to look at this quote again. This quote is 
in the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires appear as if dependent on the will and prowess of men. The shaping of events seems to a great degree to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. You think that by voting for whomever you will vote for, you think that the great stratagems of whatever party that you believe in, that they are running the world. You, you guys kind of think that. There are some that think there's a, this there's secret society that's organized and they're so organized and they're so I- diligent that they are the ones that are running the world and they are behind the scenes. But my friends, I'm telling you something. God is in control. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I, I'm telling you, if you begin to understand this one principle, this one idea, then you'll be ready for what's about to break up on the world as an overwhelming surprise. It says, but in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold above, behind, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. I want to pray one more time. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I ask that you settle our thoughts and feelings and settle my mind. Father, we need more of your spirit. We don't want to do this as a feeble exercise, but we really do want to draw nearer to you. Please help us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text we covered yesterday, Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images, Isaiah 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, 9 says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. What does he do, my friends? What does he say? I tell you of them. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end of from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, my friends, if I get to the end of this talk and I don't tell you what the pleasure of God is, please don't leave. Just say, Brother Waller, you did not tell us what the pleasure of God is. Okay, can you do that for me? All right, because it's important. Now, I tell you before it come to pass, Jesus says, and when it has come to pass, that, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am, what's it say, my friends? I am he. So the purpose of prophecy, my friends, is not so you can just know the future, but it's so that you can know Jesus. You can know all the events that are taking place. You can see all the, the, the sequence of, of all these different things. And I know some people that are just afraid. They're just afraid. They're just, they're just pure petrified of what's about to happen because they don't understand that this information is not shared so you can run and hide. It's so that you can run and hide in a person. That's the purpose. Surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. 
The secret things go to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, you're going to see something that I do every night. I repeat myself. I repeat the passages. I repeat concepts over and over again because I understand the principle repetition is the mother of learning. So you're going to see me put these passages up again. I'm going to repeat them. I want you to have these as a fundamental premise for where we are jumping off. And if I deviate from the scripture, you need to hold me accountable. Amen? All right. Let's go a little bit further. Now, this text, I don't think I shared with you yesterday. But if you want to write this text down, you want to circle it, you want to put an extra star around it, you want to actually memorize this text. This text is powerful. It says, the secret of the Lord is with them that, what's it say, my friends? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will shew them his, what's it say? Now, my friends, this is what, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, this is what they call a Hebrew parallelism. But I'm going to explain it in a very simple way. When you come to my house, we have two floors. When you first walk in, you walk into that front door. You can go to the right. You're right in our kitchen. It's a nice kitchen, nice little setup right there in that kitchen. We, we entertain guests right there in that space. Then if you walk into the kitchen, directly to the right, we call it Mama's Den. All right, Mama's Den. That's the mommy's room. In that mommy's room, she got her big setup. She got her chill spot. She got everything that she wants. I don't mess with that. You understand? She says, take your shoes off. I obey. Right? That's her space. And then if you go a little bit further out that room, there's a little hallway. The stairs going upstairs. You don't get to go up there yet. You go into the next room. In the next room right there is just a bunch of space because we don't know what to do with all that space. So it's just a space. There's a treadmill in there. You turn left, and there's my daughter's playroom. She gets to play. She got all sorts of stuff laid in there, nice toys and things. I think she's about to grow out of that. Don't tell her that, though. Does she have all those toys there? And then there's a space upstairs. And when you go upstairs, there's, a, there's two master bedrooms. There's a master bedroom to my left that I let one of the missionaries stay in. And then there's another, what we created into a master bedroom where I stay and my wife stays. Now, when you come to my house, do you think I'm going to take you to my master bedroom? No. Why not? That's my space. It's a special place. Not everybody gets to go in there. Only the one that I've shared my covenant with gets to go in there. Are you following me, my friends? Only the one that has entered into a covenant relationship with me and that actually which has been produced out of that covenant, (laughs) which is my daughter, gets to go into that room. But even when she goes into the room, she can't just walk in. What she has to do? What do you think she has to do? She has to knock. So notice what the text says. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his, what's it say? Now, my friends, you will not understand the weight of that message or that idea until we come to what we call the sanctuary. Now, I don't have it on the screen, but there's an Old Testament tent tabernacle. There's two compartments, one one outer court, and then there's a holy place and a most holy place. In in the most holy place, they have the Ark of the? Very good. You guys are on your game. So they have this Ark of the Covenant in that most holy place. You couldn't just walk in there anytime. You had to be special. So notice what it says. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Now fear. Is this fear like, ah, oh, don't hurt me. 
Is that the fear it's talking about? No. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awe and a reverence and a respect for God. And when one comes into fellowship with God in this way and with, and with, with, with uh, humility of heart and mind, the Father sees it. He says, oh, you, you respect me? Praise, praise the Lord. He said, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a secret. And he shares his secret with those who have that awe and that respect for him. Not all the world gets it, my friends. Don't be, don't be deceived. Not everybody gets to understand what is in that place. But I believe as we journey together night after night, you're going to get to see. There's going to be scales that are removed from our eyes, and God is going to show us something special. And I, I know it's going to happen because it's happened for me so many times before. So many times before. So the fear of the Lord, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, Daniel chapter 5, this is where we're going to begin this evening. That was all a review. Praise the Lord. Daniel 5, don't worry, I'm not going to keep you past midnight. (laughs) Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. You have your Bible. Daniel chapter 5, look at verse number 1. Pay close attention. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the gold vessels that were taken of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of what? Gold and what? Silver and what? Brass and what? Iron and what? Wood and what? Don't, don't, do you recognize any of those elements? Where did we see those elements, my friend? That's right. We saw those elements in Daniel 2. Head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. We see the same thing. And these men and women are worshiping these elements, these false gods. Pay attention. Now watch what else happens. It says, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed. Pay attention. And his knees smote one against another. And the queen cried aloud to bring in, no, notice this, it's almost like a repeat of the first story. Bring in who? The astrologers the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be third ruler in the, king, in the, in the kingdom. Now, in order to understand the context of this story, you must understand it's a quite baffling story, actually. As this is taking place, Babylon is completely surrounded. Darius the Mede has surrounded the city completely. They've been in there. And this guy says, let's throw a party while we're surrounded. You got to look at the history of this thing. Let's throw a party while we are surrounded. 
that you have to understand Babylon was such a mighty fortress that you could take two, two, three chariots around the walls of the city and race them all around the city with no problem. They had enough food in Babylon to withstand a siege for up to 40, 50 years. The water was flowing in and they had all the abundance they could think of. So, hey, guess what? They can sit out there all they want. Ain't nothing going to happen to us. Let's have a party. But what they didn't know is that the Most High had weighed them in the balances. You understand what I'm saying? When man thought that there was no way that they could be taken care of or, or, or removed, God said, guess what? There is something that I'm about to do because prophecy must be fulfilled. Turn, turn with me in your Bible very quickly. Isaiah. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Now watch what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 45. And before we get to 45, I just want you to jump up to chapter 44 for a second and look at verse 28. Now Darius and Cyrus were co-ruling. So watch what the Bible says in Isaiah 44 verse 28. The Bible says, thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Watch chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates. And the gates shall not be shut. Y'all not paying attention. You paying attention? So what's happening right here, this is a prophecy, 150 years before it transpires. And God is saying, guess what? When you go take kings, they're going to end up peeing on themselves. Here, here in, 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 the, in the book, uh, 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 Bel, Bel, uh, is it Belshazzar, when he sees the handwriting, on, when he sees his hand floating around, first of all, let me just, let's just be honest. Floating hand round room. <laughs> Are you staying in that room? No. I'm out, man. I'm not playing with that. There's some people that's mad curious. They'd be like, so what is that? Uh, scientifically speaking, how does that work? You know, like, no, I'm out. So this hand is floating around the room, and it writes on the wall. And we're going to talk about what it's going to say, but it's right on the wall. So in my mind, I'm like, I can see why the man would pee on himself. The Bible says his loins were loose. 150 years before it happened, it said his loins would be loose. Details, my friends. Prophetic details. Not only that now, it says, go back to the text for a moment. It says Isaiah 45, verse number two, uh, verse number one. Uh, Thus saith the Lord to, un, to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. So this is the interesting historical point. So as Babylon is surrounded by this army, the Medes and the Persians' horses are thirsty. So they end up drinking, the, the head general's horse drinks from the water, ends up getting sick, and his horse dies. So he gets mad. So he said, I'm going to divert this water. He said, we're going to do something about this. So he diverts the water, and he says, oh, wait a second. This actually affects Babylon. Then he sees, okay, let me divert the water for real. So he diverts the water so that the level of the water goes down, and there are two gates open. 
So they march in through the gates while the people are having a party. Y'all not paying attention. Y'all paying attention? They march in, and it's interesting. This story is so prophetic in nature. You're going to see how it applies to end times in a moment. But I want to go back to Daniel. So he marches in, but before he marches in, there's a dialogue that I need you to pay attention to, okay? Daniel 5, and it says in verse number 5. Let's start in verse number 5. Daniel 5, verse 5, it says, In the same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and rolled over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. All the wise men came in, but they could not figure out the problem. I wonder if that's happening today. I wonder if there is handwriting on the wall today that the people of this earth are trying to solve, but they don't really have a solution for it. Just asking questions out loud. It says in verse number nine, then was the king Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. Now the queen by reason of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet house and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is, what's it say, my friends? Yeah, come on now. <laughs> there is a man. There, there, listen, can I, I'm going to pause for a second. You guys need to get this. Right now. The reason why you've been in this room right now, you might think you're here just for the sake of hearing the problem. God needs men and women right now. See, me preaching right here by myself is not going to help finish this work. God needs others who will understand who when somebody says, I don't know how to solve said problem, they're going to say, "There, I know a man. I, I, I know a woman. They walk with God. They talk with God. That's what God is looking for. So I, I, I know a man, his name, <laughs> no, notice what she says. She says, O king, live forever. Uh, actually, I passed it. Uh, verse, verse 10, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of, what does it say, my friends? Of the holy gods. What they didn't know was that was the Holy Ghost. They did not understand that Daniel was full of the Holy Ghost. They just knew that it was something special. They just knew it was something supernatural. So there is a man full of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king... Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, 
the king, I say thy father, made masters of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit in knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in, in the same Daniel, whom the king made Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Now, first of all, you can just make a, a general observation. Daniel was not at the party. Everybody, everybody see that? Clearly he wasn't there because she comes in. She says, there's a man. Daniel's not at the party chilling with them. He's not hanging out with them in that party. Daniel's somewhere praying. He's over there talking to God. He's having fellowship with angels. He's doing something else. Don't be, don't be afraid when people don't invite you anymore. They'll, they'll call you when they need you. Trust me. Huh? They'll call you when they need you. Right now, they just want to do their thing. I'm going to do, I'm going to do me. That's what everybody, I'm going to do me. I'm going to, I'm going to do me. Yeah, you do you, and then as soon as you need me, I'm right here praying for you. And God needs people who are faithful like this, my friends. So here it is. Daniel was called in. She recognizes that there's something special about him. Verse 13 says, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Aren't thou that Daniel, which art of the children of captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? Now, this, this statement is actually quite arrogant. Are you the Daniel, the one that was a slave, that we captured you and brought you here? You, you can see there's still this element of arrogancy from this young man. Notice it says, I have heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing, and make known to me the interpretation thereof. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now pay attention, man. This is so serious. Especially, uh, yeah, watch this. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to who? Thyself. And give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Now, the reason why this becomes important, because you can tell in these days, there are some people who only preach and teach for money. Did we not just have a confession? Anybody hear about that confession? Uh, this, this guy named Benny Hinn, he's been preaching for a long time. Uh, the other day, I don't know what happened to him, he just felt convicted, and the Holy Ghost came upon him in that moment in time, he said, I've been preaching false, te false teachings. He said, I've been teaching false teachings. I, I want to apologize for teaching false teachings about prosperity gospel. Sow a seed, reap a blessing. You, you, you heard them do all that telethon phone stuff. You, you give $1,000, you'll be healed from your sickness. You know, he confessed that he was wrong. Mercy, is that right? So Daniel, a man of God, says, keep your money. I'm not going to give you the truth for money's purposes. I'm going to give you the truth because it's the, because it's the truth. 
I'm going to give you the truth because it's the truth. It's because what God has told me to do, I'm going to be faithful to my responsibility, whether it be popular or unpopular. God needs people like this today. Notice what else it says. What verse did we stop at, my friends? All right, so we're in verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave, listen again. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled in fear before him, whom he would slew and whom he would keep alive, whom he would, he would set up and whom he would put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew, till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Now listen. This is so powerful. Remember I we, we I sang a, a song to you yesterday, I'm not gonna do it again today. <laughs> But in that, in that song, it says, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. That's what the text says. So my mind says, huh, and listen to it. I don't want you to get mad when I say this, because sometimes if I say this word, folks get all triggered. So pay attention. That means Donald Trump was put there. I said it real quiet. I don't want y'all mad. All right? So the re- I'm not saying that he's a righteous man. That's not what I'm saying. God puts people in position for a purpose. You may not understand what the purpose is. I may not understand what the purpose is, but God knows what's best. So he puts him in a position because God is working all things after the counsel of his own will. Are you with me, my friends? So don't get yourself all into the, don't, remove yourself from the, the, the miasma of the craziness of the political structure of what's happening. Understand that there's a greater purpose. There's a God that's in control and he's organized and he knows what exactly what he's doing. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great pride. And God had to put him in that position to humble him. God is in control. Now watch carefully. It says, verse 22, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. So everything that Daniel just said, the son, or the, great, the grandson, had already known. So he already knew. So Nebuchadnezzar had been old, and he is de- he's dead at this point. His grandson now sits in a position of authority, and the The probation closes faster on the young person. Why? Because he has the teachings of those elders before him that he could have followed. When I was growing up, you know, my dad is a first-generation Adventist or churchgoer, a believer in God. He was a first-generation. And so he, when he started believing in Jesus, he told me before he believed in Jesus, he would, uh, he had did some drugs. And, you know, he told me about some smoking that he had done. He told me about his family, how everybody was crazy. 
<laughs> right? I don't know if you got any crazy people in your family, but he told me how everybody was crazy. And when you tell me these stories, I said, okay, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. Now, mind you, if I had chosen to do it after I had been instructed, I promise you the generational curse would have been way harder. Like, it would have been tougher for me to come out of it because I've already received instruction. The mind, brothers and sisters, is very, 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 very powerful. I was thinking about it today. I have never tasted alcohol in my entire life, except one time I went, I went to the 4th of July, and I was a little guy, and somebody spilled it over my head, some beer, and it just all over my head. <laughs> and I did taste it. It was like I tasted the beer, and it was extremely bitter, and I didn't understand why humans would want to consume such a thing. So I, that was my taste of beer. But it, in my mind, I just thought, the way my nature works, I know that if I started it, I would be the worst kind of drinker. I know that if I started smoking, I would have been the worst kind of smoker. And when you have a history behind you, like this nation right here, remember, this is the United States of America. We have a history. And what happens is if we don't learn from our history, what does it say? We're doomed to what? We're going to be doomed to repeat it. In one way, shape, or form, we're going to repeat the same mistakes. And my friends, I, I'm telling you, we're going fast in the wrong direction. As a nation, as a people, we're going fast in the wrong direction. We have not learned the lessons of our fathers, the lessons of our mothers. And here, God does work with this young man, but his time with him is very, very short. He says, you knew all this, verse 22, verse 23 says, but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before thee. Thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drank wine in them and have praised the gods of silver and of gold, of brass, of iron, of wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways has not, has thou not glorified? Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and his in this writing was written. And before I get there, I want you to notice that the hand comes out when there is a mixture of that which is profane with that which is spiritual. So I'll give you an example. So they're having a party, right? But that instead of just using their own cups. They go get the cups that belong to God. Instead of just getting their own plates, they go get the special silverware that belonged to God. And they brought that which was holy and mixed it with that which was unholy. And immediately the hand starts coming. Now, my friends, I'm, I'm giving you something very, very, very important. Now, I'm going to show you something later. Like when we start talking about the mark of the beast, uh, uh, the seven aspects, I'm going to show you based on the principle I just gave you, how I know that hand has already started to write. I, wa I want you to understand. The principle, what is the principle I just gave you? Taking the holy and mixing with what? Unholy. When you put the two together, God immediately began to do judgment. There's no question that he does that. It's an undergirding principle. It's an undergirding principle. Okay? Now watch. We're almost done with this chapter. It says, 
In verse 24, then was departed a hand sent from him, and his writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, mene, mene, tekel yufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, mene, God have numbered this kingdom, and it's finished, and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found, what's it say? Wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, with a chain of gold upon his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, why does it say third ruler? Because Belshazzar, the grandson, his daddy was still alive. His daddy was on a trip. Okay? So he's number two. So Daniel, he said, I'm going to make Daniel number three. So he gives him third ruler. But notice what happens next, my friend. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And, the Me- and, the D- and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. I mean, he was 62 years old. So here's Daniel. God have numbered thy kingdom, and it is finished. Thou art weighed, and the balances have found wanting. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, ostensibly, if you read that on the surface, you're like, oh, that's a nice Old Testament story. Everything we read in that chapter has a parallel in these last hours of verse history. Everything we read in that chapter has a parallel for these last hours of verse history. And we're going to see if we can get there. So what is the handwriting on the wall for this day? Now, in order to know what that is, I need to go to Matthew 24 and we're going to go rapid fire. Rapid fire. Matthew 24. Verse 1 and 2. Now, Jesus actually gives us the signs, if you will, that we're looking for to understand the handwriting on the wall and where we are. In Matthew 24, beginning at verse number 1, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and the disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, what's it say? Privately. Please understand, God gives his secrets to his friends. If you take the parallel passages, you'll actually find out who exactly it was that he was speaking to. They actually named names. The three disciples that were there when God said, this is what's going to happen. He actually names names. But he brought them privately. And he says, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? In verse 4, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, this is the temple. Now, if you, if you ever read about the history of the destruction of Jerusalem, it's a very, actually a very sad story. In A.D. 66, a, a general named Cestius came to capture Jerusalem. And he came and with his army. And when he came with his army to destroy Jerusalem, apparently there was a, another war or fight that was taking place. So Cestius, instead of taking Jerusalem, left. And as he left to go fight this other war, the Israelites were like, or the Jewish people were like, oh, God is fighting for us. Let's go. And they all start running out of Jerusalem and start smashing down on the Roman soldiers. Four years later, Titus comes. And Titus does not play games. 
surrounds Jerusalem, breaks everything down. He goes into the city and he's slaying everybody. The people run inside the temple, inside that building. When they run inside the building, they, they don't think anybody's going to come in there. They think they're going to uh, respect the sacred space. In fact, Titus told his soldiers, do not hurt anybody. Don't touch anyone in that temple. But apparently somebody inside the temple threw something out of the temple, got the soldier mad. So the soldier took a firebrand and put it in the hinge of the temple where there was cedar, some wood, and the place lit on fire. And it's interesting because as it's lit on fire and it's burning, of course, they slay all the people in the building, and the gold in the temple begins to melt inside the rocks. And the soldiers said, we got to get the gold. So they took those little ply things and they (laughs) to take the gold. Not one stone was left upon another. To the very detail of Jesus' own prophetic words, not one stone would be left upon another. God tells his people this would be a sign of his coming. But wait, notice what it says. Take heed that no man deceive you. If any man, well, let me pass this. This is the destruction. This is, this is actually, it's very important. I'm just going to give this to you as, as information. It's important to know why the temple was destroyed and that this temple, as we know it, will not be rebuilt again in this time on planet Earth. Now, I'm telling you that because there's something happening right now. You know, they actually have all the pieces for the temple. They're they're preparing to put the temple together and they're about to put it up. But there's a reason, and I'm going to share with you when we deal with the sanctuary in detail, why it will not happen the way we think it's going to happen, okay? But there's a reason for that. So he says, beware of, don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Anybody uh, recognize uh, this character here? Who's that? That's Jim Jones. He's the one that had people drinking Kool-Aid and dying. And there's some special. No, see, we got to be careful. But see, if I ever tell you to drink Kool-Aid, it'll only be because it tastes good. Okay, it's not good for you, though. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Who's this one right here? Who's this guy? Anybody know that guy? No, it's not Charles Manson. (laughs) This is Applewhite. So this is the guy that believed there was a comet. And the comet was going by. And the people said, oh, so he said, you have to kill yourself so your soul can go up to the comet. And, you know, so this was another teaching. He felt that he was one of the messiahs. Down here, this is the, uh, the guy in Waco. This is David Koresh, right? He, he didn't nec- he, he's a very interesting character. It's very sad how that group was actually uh, murdered. They were actually murdered. You actually have to you go and look at the court documents of how that group was actually dealt with. Even though they were teaching false things, they were actually dealt with in a very negative way, and they were actually murdered. Uh, at one point, I, uh, you know, at another time, we were... Ch- Hanging out. This guy right here, I forgot his name, but he's in Russia right now. And he actually has a following. He has that look of, you know how you have those pictures that look like Jesus? So he looks like Jesus. And there's thousands of people that just go out there and just, they're just with him. And there's several like this all around the world who claim that they are Christ. They claim that they are special messengers of God. 
But the problem is, my friends, they're not following this book. This book right here, the Bible. False Christ. What about wars and rumors of wars? I did a little bit of research on this. And uh, I just listed a couple of wars. Just a few. There's actually a massive list that I could have gone over, but you have the World War I, World War II, Korean War, Iraq War I, II, War in Dokfar, Afghanistan War, Bosnian War, Civil War, Israeli conflict. You can go on and on and on. I actually have, I have a list of all the wars from the time of Jesus Christ all the way to our present day. I have a whole list of them. And I'm looking at the list and I'm saying, okay, Father, there's always been wars. And then the father said, Andre, it's not just the multiplicity of wars, it's the intensity of war. So as time has gone forward, what do, you, what do they drop now? Nuclear bombs. How many people died in World War II? I believe World War II, World War, it was about 20 million people died in World War II. World War I, one of those two. Type it in, World War I or two. Millions and millions of people are dying. So the intensity of what's happening is getting greater and greater. Are you paying attention? Nations against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What's happening between China and America right now? Anybody knows? There's a trade war. Now, trade wars are just as debilitating as physical bomb wars. There's a trade war going on right now between these nations. In fact, I have a little clock that shows the, 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 the GNP of all the nations, and it, it actually shows which nation started growing faster. And right now, China actually bypassed America like, like a, about a year ago. And so America's trying to come back, and there's this trade war that's tra transpiring between these countries. There's a dominance that's going on. And I, I found this article that I'm going to share with you right now. It talks about famines. And the deadliest famines ever, let me see if this is the, let me see here, yes, this is it. I want you to see this. I don't want you to hear it. So, so this is the deadliest famines ever uh, in the world is associated. So it's, it's number 10, 1869. In 1868, uh, a population of about 44 million uh, felt its reach, talking about the famine that happened there. The Russian famine in 1601 to 1603, uh, about 2 million Russians died in this, in this famine. Can you imagine a famine like that? In 1870 to 1871, there was a famine. 1.5 to 2 million lives perished in that famine. Uh, famine in Java under Japanese occupation. Uh, there were people tortured. 2.4 million people lost their lives due to famine in Java. Uh, in Russia, 1921, the... They fed about 10 million people, so that they were suffering greatly in that, in that famine. Three to eight million people uh, from 1932 to 1933 suffered in the famine in, in Soviet Union. Uh, the Chalesla famine, I mean, you can go on and on. I, I wanted to get to the Persian one here. 1917, 1918, well, it says 15 million deaths in this famine for the Great Chinese Famine. What was the deadliest famine of all time? It was the Persian famine, is known as the deadliest famine of all time. This famine was blamed for the death of up to one quarter of the total population. That means about 8 to 10 million people were affected by this famine. Can you imagine a famine like that? 
I want to focus on this article. It's written by Joe Hazel and Max Roser. It says, famines have always occurred as the result of complex mix of technical and political factors, okay? But the developments of the modern industrial era have generally reduced the salience of natural constraints in causing famine. This includes many developments discussed in other pages of our, our world in data, such as increasing availability of food per person, uh, made possible through increasing agricultural yields, improvements in healthcare, sanitation, increased trade, reduced food prices and food volatility. So he's saying famines are going down because we're doing such a great job. Then I read this. For this entry, we have assembled a new global data set on famines from 1860 to 2016. We s estimate that in total, 128 million people died in famines over this period. You guys pay attention? Notice this. Now, this is, at, this is near the end of the article. You can find it on their, on their website. It says, thus overall, we see in the rapid decline of famine mortality one of the great accomplishments of our era, representing technological progress, economic development, and the spread of stable democracies. Viewed in this light, however, it also serves to highlight the appalling continued presence of famines, which are in the modern world entirely what? So before, it was because people didn't have knowledge. So people were getting sick, dying, there's not enough food. Now, famines are man-made. Now, how did, when I read that, I was, I was a little upset. Man-made. There are pestilences. Anybody can name a pestilence for me. What's one of the pestilences that you know about? Measles. Let's, let's try Ebola. Typhoid fever, right? I saw something that was interesting. I'm just going to put this out here. Do you know, do you know that in Los Angeles right now, the bubonic plague is coming back? Did you guys know that? Yeah, I, I, I saw this article. Bubonic plague in Los Angeles. Is California on the verge of becoming a third world state? I was like, what in the world? Why is that? The full scope of the flea and rodent problem inside City Hall is still unclear amid a downtown outbreak of flea-borne typhus. And then it goes on to explain. What's happening is Los Angeles is not picking up the trash. So Los Angeles has all this trash around their city. You're not picking it up. So these rodents and animals are all there just running around and doing all this stuff, and people are getting sick. Not only that, the cost of in, in, in California to live there is, is skyrocketing. So people are now living inside tents. And the tent cities are near the trash, which now people are getting sick. Are you, are you seeing what's happening? Man-made problem. But brothers and sisters, God has a solution for all of this. These sicknesses and these diseases, Jesus said, are going to be. What about earthquakes? Did you know that there are earthquakes, even right now, probably transpiring? This, this writing is really, really small. The largest recorded earthquake in the United States was a magnitude 9.2 that struck Prince William Sound, Alaska, on Good Friday, March 28th. It says the largest recorded earthquake in the world was a magnitude 9.5 in Chile on May 22, 1960. I want to read something else to you here. It's estimated that, let me see. All right. It is estimated that 500,000 detectable earthquakes in the world each year, 100,000 of those can be felt, and 100 of them cause damage. So they're happening all the time. 500,000 earthquakes in a year. 
They're happening quite frequently, my friends. 1.5, this is an old uh, earthquake that transpired. I wanted to put it up here because something happened when this earthquake took place. 1.5 million displaced after the Chile earthquake. Interesting, I'm going to pass that. The USGS estimates that several million earthquakes occur in the world each year. Many go undetected because they hit remote areas on very small magnitudes. The NEIC now locates about 50 earthquakes each day, about 20,000 a year. So interesting there. Now, what does this say? What's the title of this say? Read it out loud for me. What does it say? The earthquake tips the axis of the earth? So what does that mean? So when it tilt, if it tips the Earth's axis, what does that affect? It affects the weather. The earthquake was so powerful that it tipped the Earth's axis and changes the weather. Now, my friends, that is serious. That is serious. Now, I don't even have to go about moral decline. Everybody knows how the morality in our world is going down. Do I need to go into detail? It's actually quite depressing. So what they want to do, they want to stop violence. They want to do different things that I'm not even going to, several things came to my mind. Uh, children are suffering from hidden epidemic of child abuse and neglect. Over 3 million reports of child abuse are made every year in the United States. However, those reports can include multiple children. It says in 2007, approximately 5.8 million children were involved in an estimated 3.2 million child abuse reports and allegations. So I'm not even going to put up here, and I don't like talking about it, and there's a reason why these shootings keep happening. It's because when they happen, the news organizations blast it out, and then somebody else says, oh, somebody else got popular from that, and somebody else now copies the shooter. It just becomes worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's very, very sad. Every 100 hours, more youths die in the streets than were killed in the Persian Gulf War. I don't even want to talk about Chicago. That's where my wife's from. She actually is there tonight. That's a war zone over there. It is a war zone in Chicago right now. I wouldn't be surprised if 52 people got shot this weekend. This happens on a regular basis in a city where they've already taken laws to take guns away. Uh, what I'm saying, what, here's what I'm saying. Man cannot solve these problems. These are all signs of the reality. The handwriting of God is on the walls. I, I wanted to put this up. This is a more recent statistics in regards to child abuse. 4.1 million children maltreatment referral reports. Child abuse reports involve 7.5 million children. That's in one year. 3.2 million children receive prevention and post-response services. 142,301 children receive foster care services. 74.9% of victims are neglected. 18.3% of victims are physically abused. 8.6% of the victims are sexually abused. 7.1% of victims are psychologically maltreated. The highest rate of child abuse in children under the age of one, 25.3% per 1,000. This stuff makes me sad. It is, children don't have any way to protect themselves. Like right now, if you count to eight, somebody's getting raped. These things are happening more frequently, my friends, and you're going to tell me that we're going to elect somebody to become president? It's going to solve our problems? We're just going to come together. Let's rally together. Everybody in the world, let's rally. No, there's only one solution to this thing. Jesus must 
take possession of our hearts, and Jesus must come to right all wrongs. There's only one solution. And what has to happen is God's people must walk into the position so that there's actually something we have to do in order, in order to activate him saying, I am ready to come. There's, some, there's a position that we have to be in. I don't even want to talk about this. Next on Eyewitness Action News, blood spattered sidewalks and shrouded covered bodies. Could the next victim be you? Uh, We'll get to the story from the living rooms of sobbing hysterical relatives and we'll tell you why you should be paralyzed with helpless fear. That's Eyewitness Action News. It's what you need to know. Uh, Look what he does now. He's reading the paper and the news. Listen, you guys, you don't want to be watching the news too much. You know what should be, you know why people are losing their minds? Mental health is such a big issue. Because we're not spending time here. You understand? We're, 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 we're so focused on all the negativity in the world, we're losing our bearings. Turn your TV off. Your Facebook feed, you might just need to take a break. Can you, <laughs> at one point I noticed that I was scrolling and it was one hour went by. You ever scrolled that long? <laughs> Scroll two hours. That, that's for our generation right here. We're scrolling. We didn't have that back in the day. Didn't, I, didn't, I, I remember not having a cell phone. I remember there used to be no internet. I, I do remember that. But now these things are so designed to occupy our minds and our understanding. So now when things happen in our life, we just stressed out. We're gone. We halfway know God. We don't know him like we should. I'm going to challenge you. Can I challenge you? Is it okay to challenge you? Can I challenge you? Here's my challenge. When you go home after these meetings, tonight and tomorrow night and the next night, when you go home, don't turn your TV on. Just, just don't turn it on. Just say, you know what? It's going to be me and Jesus tonight. In the morning you wake up, Don't go to your favorite YouTube channel. (laughs) Open your Bible. And what's going to happen is you're you're going to see that you're actually addicted. You're going to start having withdrawals. You're going to it's going to be like, but I uh," and then you're going you're going to recognize I have a problem. In that moment, when you start recognizing you have a problem, you say, Father, help me. Father, help me. Then you go, you get up, you go for a walk, go breathe some fresh air, start singing some songs, get your Bible out, start trying to memorize scripture. You say you're too old. No, you're not. Do you know there's a lady, she was a, she was a, I think she was in her 80s and she was starting to come down with dementia and her son asked her, mommy, will you start trying to memorize the scripture? As she began to start memorizing scripture, her brain rejuvenated. There's power in this word. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So what we want to do is put down the distraction, open up the book, and let the power of God, because the creative energy that created the world is in this book, my friends. This is the word of God. But we see the world is trying to solve the problems, but they don't have a solution, my friends. And one night when I deal with the United Nations, I don't want you to think that I'm a hater of the United Nations I do not believe they have the solution to our problems. And I'm going to show you the reason why they don't have the solution. I'm going to show you clearly. 
The nuclear threat is constantly there. There's the weather that's lost its mind. Tornadoes, hurricanes. 70% of the Bahamas was underwater, guys. At one point. Now, I don't know where it's at right now, but 70, 70% of a whole island underwater. Mercy, friends. You guys remember this? This is a tsunami. This is not a movie. This is not any graphic uh, animation. You see that? You guys see that? The bounds of the habitation, my friends, the water has lost its mind. I just put it there. I just want you to see it. I want you to see it. That's not a movie. That's life being destroyed. My time is fleeting. It's flat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass this. We'll come to that another time. I want to show you something. I'm going to pass this. I'm going to pass this. We'll come back to this. I'm going to I want to go through all of this uh, in another study. All right? So you don't you don't want I don't know what night that's going to be, but I don't want you to miss it. Now I want you to open your Bibles and we're going to end. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And I want you to see something. I want us to start reading at verse number 12. Revelation 16, verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The river Euphrates. What river Euphrates? Where's that at? That's Babylon. That's, so that's the same river that Darius uh, diverted the waters, all right? So this is spiritual Babylon being spoken of. And it says, The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, again, Medo-Persia was from the, from the east. So we have this imagery from the Old Testament that now begins to match in the prophetic sense in the New Testament. And it says, Makes way to kings east, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirit of, what's it say, my friends? Devils working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. That's the battle of Armageddon. Behold, now watch what it says. Behold, I come as a, what's it say, my friends? Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, pay attention. So I just showed you all these different signs that are transpiring in the world. All these signs indicate that the coming of Jesus is near. All these signs say this. 
these unclean frogs, and again, I don't have time to go into detail, but these unclean frogs are coming and deceiving the whole world. They're all being gathered together. And then there's an instruction in the middle of that information. It says, make sure you have your clothes on. Make sure you have your garments on. Now, what garment is that? That's, that's God's righteousness. That's his love enshrouding you. Make sure you have your garments on. Make sure Jesus is all around you. Because if not, my friends, you will be unclean as well. When those unclean spirits fly around, and they're flying, my friends, and they're gathering right now, my friends, as they're doing their duty and they're doing their deed, if you are not connected with the Most High, you're going to be swept away. So my question is simple tonight. Will you allow Jesus to clothe you with his righteousness, Amen. his love? Will you allow him to do that? There's a, you guys know this story. You can probably tell it better than I can. There's an old uh, wives' tale talked about this king. And this king wanted a special garment made for him. You guys know this story? And he wanted this special garment made for him, so he hired this guy who professed to be able to make this wonderful garment. So the guy's in there, these two guys are in there, and they're in there making this garment. With the little swindle thing, and they're doing our little stuff, and they're making this garment. So the king sends in people to look inside to just get a peek of this garment. So the king's helpers go, and they look inside, and they see the guys working. And he's like, well, I don't see anything. But I don't want to go back and tell the king I don't see anything because I might lose my head. <laughs> so he goes back to the king. King, it looks great. <laughs> he's coming along swimmingly. King comes and the, the guys come out of the room and they say, King, it's all ready for you. It's all ready for you. King looks, he says, well, I don't see anything, but I don't want to look stupid. All right, let's put it on. So they put it on. Oh, King, you look great. This is amazing. This is the best clothing outfit. It looks perfectly fine. <laughs> you look awesome. They have decided to have a great parade. So as they're making this big parade, everybody in the, in the, uh, amongst the people are looking at the king, and they're thinking, I don't see anything. But I don't want to say anything. King, you look great. <laughs> you look amazing. That's the best you've ever looked in your whole life. You're just, this is absolutely phenomenal. And then finally, some small child looks up and says, Mommy, look, he's naked. Do you know that's uh, the condition of most people today? I would even say it's the condition of most people that even claim to know Jesus. They believe they have the robe on. They believe righteousness covers them. But they're naked. I don't want to be naked. Do you want to be naked? I want to be clothed, <coughs> fully clad with the righteousness, and I, I use a different word, with the love of God. I just want to be embraced with it. I don't want my faultiness, my weakness, my frailties. I don't want those things. I want his love to so envelop me 
and to so overtake me that my life begins to look like his. That's what I want. Is that your desire? If that's your desire, why don't you stand with me? If that's your desire, you, just, you want that love to envelop you, to embrace you. Father in heaven, every single solitary soul has stood. And Father, I see the physical standing, but I know that in the heart of us, Father, we still resist. So Father, I ask that you help us to stand in our hearts. And I pray the prayer, Lord, that I pray all the time, but I pray it even here now. Lord, take our hearts for we cannot give them. They are your property. Father, keep them, for we cannot keep them for thee. And Father, please save us from ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves, Father. Please, Lord, as the world is going crazy, as we see all the signs around us, help us to stand like Daniel. Help us to be a light in a dark world. We thank you, Father, for being here with us. We thank you for the convictions that are in our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that once these convictions are healed, seal them with your blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, tomorrow night, we were going to have a song, but it's okay. Tomorrow night, we're going to be dealing with war in heaven, hell on earth. And in that talk tomorrow night, you want to make sure you bring your enemies. Anybody have any enemies? Okay, if you don't have any enemies, bring your friends. And tomorrow night, as we go through that subject, I'm going to share my testimony with you of why I have given my heart to Jesus and said I'm going to work for him for the rest of my life. But I want to be able to share that with you. And I want you to understand that that war that's in heaven has found its place here on earth. And you and I need to understand the, the principle of that battle. So bring your friends, bring your enemy, and I hope to see you tomorrow night. How many are going to bring a friend? Can I see your hand? You're going to bring a friend? You're going to try. How many are going to try to bring a friend? All right, I like that. I like that. You, you're like, I don't know if my friend will come. I understand. <laughs> if you try, it's all good. God bless you. You have a wonderful evening. And uh, don't forget the question box. Is it out there? All right, the question box. If you have a question of any type, please write the question, put it in the box, and we're going to do a question and answer session at some juncture. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a good night.